Listen to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Carl Stevens. Carl's latest work is the winner that came out from Retrofit in the fall of last year, I'm going to say. Am I right? No, it was in the spring, actually, because we debuted at uh, TCAP last year. I am a monster. Uh, <laughs> All right. In the spring of last year at TCAP. That's right. um, mm-hmm. From the fine folks at Retrofit slash Big Planet. Um, and it's. Uh, kind of a turn away from previous works to me um, at least the stuff the other stuff I'd read um, mm-hmm. the the strip collections that alternative had published uh, failure guilty lodger and oh god what's the other one that I wrote here I can't even whatever remember. whatever wow my yep. handwriting is getting <laughs> I could give you some tips it, it looks like it says watery uh, <laughs> wow I am I'm sorry folks uh, this is this is what happens when podcasters get old um, thank bye you. folks my friend bye I, folks. I did get new glasses I will say recently <laughs> and they're progressive so like these giant remember, you ever watch Seinfeld and, sure. and Jerry's dad got new glasses oh yeah like the big <laughs> right. huge one so it's kind of like that uh-huh. face um, nice that's a crumb too right like that's one of the things i remember from that documentary uh like the um Zwigoff documentary like yeah. like crumbs glasses he was the first time you know i like saw him and i was shocked by the like the coke bottle quality it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> it's like that dude's blind man <laughs> but he can draw <laughs> but he can draw yeah now he can write too i love i mean i love crumbs writing actually I mean, you know, just those those like essays, like in the beginnings of um, uh, the like Fantagraphics series, will be on the complete Crumb comics. You know, like he has like that little one pager, and you know they're they're great. You know, I wish he would write more essays. He's written stuff for <clears throat> Mineshaft. 
Oh, right, yeah, all those dream comics. Some of them are kind of crazy, though. Hmm. Like, he has this weird conspiracy theory stuff that he gets into, and it's just... Okay. <laughs> it's odd. Um, yeah. It hasn't really gained any traction, and that's probably good. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, it seems like cartooners should, like, stay away from uh, politics and, you know, weird pet theories, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think like, that's just like, a, that's a general good theory for everyone in general to just not get into like odd theories of government uh yeah even though the way things are going at all is kind of realistic anyways anywho um latest book the winner and i was Mm. saying it's 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 a far step from uh the previous books uh which i think were mostly collections of comic strips he had done for a boston-based Alt yeah, it was, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. the um the uh, alt weekly here um called the Boston Phoenix, but they don't exist anymore. They um, stopped publishing in 2013, I believe. And you did that from like 2005 to 2013, or yeah, it was like well they fired me uh, 2012. 2012. So it was about seven years. And you got so. fired for comparing uh, Bud Light to Piss. Right, well, horse piss. Horse piss, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's um, get specific. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's... I mean, I'm not a... <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but... I, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I mean, that was... I mean, really, I think they just didn't want to pay me the $125 that they were paying me every week. And, um... Because... <laughs> I mean, it, it just seemed like a lame excuse that they, you know, let it go to print without you know catching that because like the idea well like what they had said to me was that they were trying to court Budweiser um as a as an advertiser and I it was like a one-off joke in like the like one of the panels mm-hmm. about you know and um then so like the next week my art director sat me down and you know told me basically that that like they were like cutting the strip because of that and then but like she like denied it and it became a whole thing and i mean you know it was i was i kind of feel bad about the whole experience because it was sort of like the height of my like drinking days and i was you know i, I tossed off some like angry rant on facebook and then um like the boston globe um which is you know the big paper here um like contacted me for like a quote and like they ran like a little paragraph you know saying that because like the phoenix was sort of famous for being anti-censorship so they wrote a thing saying how they censored me and so that that forced like the editor of the phoenix to have to write um a letter you know like an official letter saying that they didn't fire me over the bud light comments but um you know i was just leaving on my own i think but like they were also like you know, using me for illustration work, which was true. But then, obviously, after I caused that stir, they, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shut off that spigot. And which, I mean, which was dumb because, you know, I I was uh, quite broke back then. And so I, you know, really it, it sort of led to this financial downturn that I had in, like, the next couple of years. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, 
yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of like leads up to the winner, because um, but go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's the natural segue, but I also want to get more background into you getting yeah. up to the winner because I feel like it's a big conversation with the winner, but I kind of want to get the background of, sure. of who you are and okay. kind of how because like artistically speaking you're doing something really specific um Mm -hmm. which i feel like we can kind of jump into first is the um photorealism painting and ink drawing um Mm -hmm. within your work and has that been something that's always been kind of key to what you've wanted to do with your comics or key to your approach with comics yeah i mean i've um you know, I, I've, I, I like most cartoonists are, you know, have been, uh, I mean, it was really like what I wanted to do since I was a child. So, you know, I was like a life, I mean, it was like comics were like my first exposure to art, to like visual art, like in any means. I mean, I, I grew up in a very rural town in uh, central Mass, Massachusetts. And, um, uh, and my parents didn't really take us or like they didn't take us to art museums or they were you know, and there wasn't really much taught in the schools. And I mean, you know, I sort of had this vague idea of art and, you know, like my art teachers would like, show me stuff, but, um, you know, but like my parents would get um, the Boston Globe and a couple other newspapers every Sunday. And, um, you know, it was just, it was like Christmas and I would just pour over all the comics. You know, this was like in the uh, like mid to late, well, like the like late eighties into the nineties. So, you know, it's Calvin and Hobbes and the far side and Bloom County. And, you know, it was, it was much better than this. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, but like, especially what Watterson was doing with Calvin and Hobbes, or like the page layouts and everything. And, you know, it, it was just very exciting to me. And then like most young nerds, um, I gravitated to the other comic nerds and, um, they opened me up to the world of comic books and then, you know, discovered like the local comic shops. And so, um, you know, I would just haunt those as much as possible. And so, you know, and you know, it was like the early nineties. So it was all the image comic stuff. So like, I, I felt really hard for, you know, Todd McFarlane and Liefeld and Jim Lee and all that stuff. And, but then McFarlane led to, uh, getting into Sandman through Neil Gaiman, like, cause he like had those issues where they were written by other people. Eight, nine, ten, and eleven. That's right. Yeah. So it was Neil Gaiman, <laughs> and there's the Dave Sim one, and so like I got into like Cerebus, and then actually like Cerebus got me into like a lot of other indie people because he used to have those like, um, you know, those those backup stories, hmm. and so you know it just sort of like branched off from there. And then I really got into you know the alternative comic scene and. You know, it just it just got deeper and deeper. <laughs> well, this the Cerebus thing I wasn't even thinking about, but that makes sense with the the backgrounds mm-hmm. um, that Gerhard did. Uh, yeah, in terms of I mean, your own art. there's there's definitely some crossover there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely like was was. Yeah, I mean, like for sure, like influenced by that. But I was going to say, I mean, like once I, you know, left home and like you know went to art school. Um, um, my, uh, you know, that's when like the world of art history really started opening up to me. Mm-hmm. And so I started studying, um, you know, like old master drawings, like Rembrandt and, uh, like Michelangelo and, you know, 
Botticelli, you know, just the, just the, like the hundreds of years of like drawing and painting that, um, you know, like I hadn't really been exposed to. And then, you know, like living in Boston, we have a couple of great museums and just like just studying that work. And, you know, but then I just started to conceive this idea that, you know, the co- the uh, drawing that is in comics is in fact like similar to like a lot of what we consider to be fine art, you know, like the only difference is that, you know, there are these panels and like a lot of comics artists haven't, I mean, I think, or I mean, this is very like general, of course, but you know, it just seems that like the influence of like a lot of so-called fine artists, um, uh, you know, hasn't, I mean, you know, people weren't like really quoting them. I mean, because it was more about like illustration, you know, comics is always would be about illustration or like, you know, Art Spiegelman would like talk about uh, like fine artists, but it was only like in the 20th century, you know, like it, it like never really went beyond or, like further back than that. But I've seen him talk you know. a bit about uh, Raphael and the cartoons mm-hmm. um, a little bit, but not too much. What do you mean? What? Like my cartoons? No, Raphael, the, the painter and the yeah. cartoons that he did as part of that process for the weavings. <laughs> Oh, oh! You mean for his uh, frescoes? Well, I mean the um, term cartoon, like in that case, like refers to like a giant drawing. Yeah. And they would use that to like transfer onto the plaster for, um, for like his frescoes that he made. Mm-hmm. So, and actually, I mean, like we saw like a, um, some of those recently, um, at the Louvre. They were also <laughs> used for weavings. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure, for the um, tapestries. Yeah. And yeah. that in reverse. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Um, so yeah, so I mean, um, so I, I think that's when I started, so like being exposed to all that and really studying it, you know, but like studying it like on a, you know, as like a visual artist, just studying like the, the like line quality and like, you know, how they were just approaching it um, as like a, you know, I mean, that's really like how artists learn is by studying other art. I mean, I was doing that like with the comics and then now I was just doing that with, um, well, yeah, I mean, like people like Raphael. And so it just sort of, I started to just form this style and it, it, it sort of moved me more towards doing more naturalistic, I mean, I guess like realistic looking uh, figures. And the more I thought about that and the more I got into it, um, you know, the more it, and the more that I, I looked to like other people doing it in comics, like especially alternative comics, like there weren't, there like wasn't really anyone doing that. And I, I sort of saw it as like a challenge to try to use all these techniques that I was learning and to, you know, to make the comics that I wanted to make. And it, it made sense to me because um, I, I wanted to tell these naturalistic stories that were about, you know, my friends or, you know, fiction, you know, like these quiet, understated stories. So, you know, like, why not do these quiet understated drawings that are you know real like real stories with like real looking people and but like also the challenge is like the realistic comics that i had seen were often stiff looking and but like the old master drawings that i was studying weren't so it, it couldn't be that like the reason they were stiff was because they looked realistic but it was just like the quality of the drawing so if i could somehow like develop this realistic style 
that was similar to what I was studying with the old masters that, you know, I would be able to bring that to the comics and like not, and like avoid some of the pitfalls that like a lot of the other realist comic artists have fallen into. And I mean, I think like a lot of that is just with lighting, you know, that like if you have like the correct lighting or like think about, you know, like shadow and light, like it like sort how of, you, how you layer the painting too, like, yeah, well, I mean, just even like the way that you deal with like gray areas, you know, but like not having these like solid, like thick lines that like define uh, like the figures and like the backgrounds. But like if it's like a little bit more atmospheric, it'll give like the sense of movement. And, you know, if like the composition's correct, I mean, this is all nuts and bolts stuff. I'm like all over the place right now. But, you know, it's just like if you can somehow like make the drawings just not just be these like solid like outlines that are like stained glass or something but yeah. like if they have like more you know like a sketchiness to them that you know it could just you know avoid that like stiffness so <laughs> no i i hear what you're saying uh, i think there are folks who kind of work really well with that with with, with stepping away in the kind of way you're saying like a like Terry moriarty in a way is able to kind of shed that stiffness by making it more about the bold colors and less about Oh like sure. You said that kind of like use of the black line to outline everything like that that can be a really bad crutch because basically in a lot of ways it's just paint and fill. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um actually yeah, he's a, he's a really good example and um but but even like that uh, that line quality of I mean I I um I've been buying artist editions these days. Yeah. Uh, which is probably bad in the long run uh, <laughs> uh, financially. But, it's, a, uh, it's a good workout. It is. Yeah. I mean, even just to open them. But I have one of, um, you know, some of the EC guys. And, you know, just looking at that of like, you know, the originals of like a, like a Frank Fazetta or like Al Williamson or, um, you know, there is all this like delicate line work. I mean, even like um, like Harvey Kurtzman, you know, who's sort of known for like the thick black lines. I mean, like there is just this like subtleness that's going on like in the inking that um, I think speaks to like what I was saying. That mm-hmm. and it's 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 just really too bad that you know like the printing was so terrible uh, back then. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but you know, if like it was better printing, I mean, you know, like who knows what sort of comics we'd have now <laughs> <laughs> there's this great story that uh frank centauro likes to tell about how neil adams was outraged by the amount of the limited color palette that dc had mm-hmm. and so he just went and approached the printers directly to see what they could do and he just got oh, yeah. them to add another color oh yeah i know that story yeah yeah that's great and it well i mean like I'm, I'm sure he like had that power i mean he was top of his game at that point right yeah but it's also like i mean god bless but it's also the the idea of of one more color yeah (laughs) Yeah. being stuck in such a system where it's like oh you have to like break down like breaking down to those terms and also even the coloring process within itself like i'm sure you've looked at like the ruby lift process Mm -hmm. um and all that and just like how intense it was yeah Yeah. it was crazy I mean, you know, but there is something to be said for, uh, like, limitations like that, like yeah. a limited palette. But, yeah, man, I mean, it really is, like, the golden age nowadays. I mean, as, <laughs> as, far, as, as far as that goes, it's just, I mean, to, like, I mean, it, since to have 
the, the options that we have now for like printing and, mm-hmm. and even like the internet, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's amazing. Very lucky making comics at this point in time. Because, I mean, some of the folks you mentioned have that classical training, like Frazetta and stuff. Sure. Um, but yeah, as you said, the technology couldn't reflect the level of detail, or even like you look at an original page by like Kurtzman or Wood or like yeah. my favorite Jack Davis, like an original oh, yeah. page is just unreal in comparison to what you'll see. Oh, printed. yeah. Even in oh, those, those Fanographics black and white reprints don't mm-hmm. capture it for me. Um yeah, they don't because I mean, even they're sort of darkened. I've like noticed that. Like, um, I have the Kriegstein one. You know, um, when I compare the, I mean, I think it's like the Flying Machine, like uh, that story. You know, to like the Fantagraphics one and like the Artist Edition, it's you know, it's like night and day. I mean, it's it's really you, like lose like a lot of that like quality. So, but I mean, I guess Fantagraphics is going to do Artist Editions. <laughs> <laughs> now, for your own work. Um, when you started doing comics, um, it was all black and white at first. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, um, well, Guilty, the like Zero book that I did, that was the first, I mean, that's what I guess what I mark, like what, if you're going to call this, well, okay, it's the start of my career <laughs> was, was, uh, that one. And, um, that was black and white, but that was purely cause uh, it was a Zero book and I was, uh, self-publishing it so and i only had like a few thousand dollars mm-hmm. to do it so i mean i probably would have liked to do it in color but i just went for the black and white to save money um and then but that led to the uh doing the weekly strip for the phoenix and um that like i was i mean i, I probably could have done those early ones in color because they were uh, running it online too um but they said that that page was black and white, so I just kept it black and white. But I've, I've, I've always been interested in wanting to do color comics, and I still go back and forth even with, uh, like, these days about, you know, like, which should be black and white, which should be color. Because, I mean, I guess it just depends on the story. Yeah. Now, in that, so. pro- that process of kind of looking at fine art and kind of processing it into doing comics... Um, what do you do for yourself to loosen up to to get out of that stiffness that you're you're seeing or you're concerned about falling into? As far as what, like warming up or the process I mean, within your drawing of because you talked earlier about you know photorealism within comics can be quite stiff. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I I draw everything freehand. I mean, you know, I, I do use like a lot of references or I'll draw from life. Um, I think I think if you trace something, then like that makes it stiff because you're you're really just bound to like your reference material in, in that way. But I mean, I think if you're just eyeballing it, um, I mean that's I, I find that like loosens like loosens me up because I'm you know I'm, I'm like thinking about uh, drawing you know just like in, in the sense that like you know making the image you know. Like it's it's it is like drawing from my imagination. I mean, even though like I am looking at like an object, like I am like observing something and like drawing it, um, it is my imagination that's you know making it uh, a drawing because it's like my interpretation of it. So I feel like using that technique 
uh, alone will just like avoid the stiffness because like you're not so bound to like the photograph or you know whatever it is you're observing so i remember having this conversation with an artist about abstract and representational yada yada and mm-hmm. he was saying that representational to him is actually abstract because you think you're looking at reality but it's anything but reality. yeah I agree, and that's why I sort of wince at the um, term like photorealism, because because it, it doesn't really look like a photograph. I mean, photographs aren't you know black and white like crosshatched <laughs> things, you know, with shading. And like you know, like the term photorealism is an art historical term. You know, it comes from the 1970s, from like the movement where there were these artists like Richard Estes that would literally just copy like a photograph blown up but like with all the qualities of the photograph you know like they would you know even like like the photographs would have like a bad like flash to it so like everything would be like flattened out but like that was the I mean but it was conceptual art you know it was the idea of like there's these cheap images that anyone can take and we're going to make a you know painting of that like warts and all yeah so you know I think that's different from like what I and like a lot of cartoonists, you know, whether they draw realistically or not, you know, use uh, photographs for, you know, which is just like observational reference, you know, to get like a, to get something to look, you know, a certain way. There's, there's something to think about with your work where it's also not grounded in reality in a lot of parts. Sure. Does that kind of make sense? Like... You have this this very real image, but the story um, really steps away quite a lot, especially with the strip stuff where you just kind of let it be as weird in spots. Um, or maybe your life was just that chaotic. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, I like as I um, age, um, my, my, my interests are definitely changing to you know making stories that are more magical i guess i mean i guess they more like and um and it's just you know it's sort of the prerogative of like the medium too it's just you know you 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 can draw or like write anything so why not you know it's like you're not i mean i i watch a lot of films you know so I, i i i feel like that has like crept into like a lot of my work like just the idea that you're really like creating this like dream world and we're like anything can happen, but you know, it's, it's just me and the pencil, you know, I don't have to rely on, you know, billions of dollars to get it made. (laughs) But that's also, that's an interesting aspect too, though, is like with film, it can be whatever surreal oddity, but when it's comes quite often, if it's drawn in such a style, it has to be a real story of like, real things happening oh sure and well also and it has to be like a drama too i mean yeah. you know I, I i strongly believe in like making my work uh funny or at least having like a humorous quality to it because i, I feel like that's a disconnect too especially for like a lot of comics fans because like you know they just when they see like a realistically drawn image you know they automatically think that it must be like a soap opera drama or like a science fiction epic you know it, it's you know, like the, um, the, the, the like humor aspect of it doesn't like come to them right away. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of like that. So, you know, that's something I like to explore too. And, you know, I just find comics that have a sense of humor, um, uh, like more interesting, you know, 
now that I, I f- first read all your older stuff, and uh-huh. I was worried about you. Um, oh, yeah? It, it got rough. Um, How so? Just the, the drinking, the debauchery. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be, like, not a great will to exist. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was definitely bad. I mean, I was... Um, I mean, you know, I am a sober alcoholic, so it's, um, I mean, you know, like at the time, I mean, I was, it was in my twenties, you know, and I, I, that was just sort of like my life, you know, I was hanging around, you know, people that like to party and it just like at the time seemed like, you know, romantic to me, I guess, or something. I mean, I, or, you know, I just was suffering from addiction and that just came out of my art. I mean, that's definitely something that like haunts me to this day you know like thinking about you know all those days I was hung over just not really able to draw or you know like just the amount of work that I could have gotten done had I not you know had had that addiction it's, <laughs> it's um you know I like try not to think about that yeah. but you know but like I was trying to write on a you know like honestly about what was going on in my life at that time and i and i really like honestly i i have a really big appreciation for for that work's existence um mm-hmm. as after especially reading the winter uh, mm-hmm. and seeing the change in your life and uh quite often when you read books about people going through through times of addiction of tragedy in their lives it's it's done you know hindsight but for for your story it's it's kind of extant in a way that it exists and that that's that kind of time capsule mm-hmm. um, and there's a certain realism to that as yeah. well mm-hmm. um, and so it, it's it's fascinating going from that and then into your recent work uh and seeing where you're going and um also how your work has gotten feel like it's gotten more playful mm-hmm. you're having more fun with it um, oh sure i'm having fun reading it oh thanks um, <laughs> it's it, it seems like you're just kind of letting it go and you're less constrained in a way yeah yeah for sure um i think i think that was part of it too like i still had that like chip in my shoulder i guess in my 20s where like you know i did want to just do these supernaturalistic stories that were just about everyday life you know this you know i was reading uh, uh you know like a lot of like charles bukowski or like raymond carver and yeah. um you know people like that that just like that that like romantic idea that i think like a lot of young men um have like when they're that age and i just wanted you know, to just, just like stick to that like strict level. But like, yeah, again, it's just like with age, I've just gotten more interested. Um, I think also just, I'm, I'm like hearkening back to like what got me interested in comics in the first place, which was all these, you know, like fantasy stuff, like all the image books and, you know, uh, like the early heavy metals, which I've been, you know, in addition to the artist editions I've been buying, which is embarrassing. Why? Like been buying all all the old heavy metals. Oh, they're great, aren't they? I mean, it's it's like this cornucopia of like all the best like European cartoonists from that time, and I mean, you know, it's it's like half amateur like 
garbage and then like half like genius yeah. <laughs> you know like <laughs> so but just like looking at that stuff again it, it just really just got me thinking about like what i was doing artistically and it's like well you know like i i, I kind of do want to draw aliens and you know fairies and shit <laughs> 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 you know? and but but also just to see if i could because like you know i've i've just been drawing like myself and my friends sitting around for years you know like um, it was just like an artistic exercise mm-hmm. also just to like, you know, see what I could do with like that material, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, like I want to do more. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm doing this cat book. I'm, I'm doing, um, this book for Chronicle, uh, called Penny, which is about my cat. Um, and it's based on a strip that I did for the village voice for about six months, um, uh, before they, um, uh, stop publishing and um, so but I, I've even incorporated I mean so it's I mean it, like most of the strips are basically Penny like you know like wandering around the apartment having a lot of uh, existential thoughts but then there are strips where it becomes this straight up fantasy and actually I mean I, I shouldn't talk about it too much because I'm not sure what, what the publisher wants does not want me to say but um it'll exist but but yeah but i guess going back to the original point is that you know i I feel like i've been sharpening my chops more to do uh more like fantastical stuff and i i you know do have like this epic fantasy story that uh, i want to get to at some point that would be like 300 pages (laughs) like but i don't know i'd have to like win the lottery or something to like have like the time to do it but i don't know i mean maybe if the penny book is a hit you know i'll <laughs> buy myself a year or two <laughs> how um has sobriety changed your relationship with art creation um well I'm, I'm able to work every day with a clear mind which is um probably the best gift that sobriety could have given me um and also like the idea of uh, a routine is um uh, key to to art making for me mm-hmm. uh, and you know that's that's also just well like part of the sobriety is because of um, Alex my wife um, who you know I write about this in the winter but you know we we have this very strict routine of like for our like day-to-day lives and I feel like having that um, makes me more productive you know, it's like I have to get up at a certain time. I have to, you know, exercise. I have to meditate and eat. And then I have, you know, eight hours to work. And then I have to make dinner for Alex <laughs> and me. And then we read and go to bed. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like that, <laughs> you know, like, like every day, you know. But I, I just feel like I, if like I didn't, if I was still drinking or like partying well i mean first of all alex wouldn't be with me and but it would be more sporadic you know like i would like get up at noon you know nurse my hangover for an hour or two draw a little bit and then start drinking again yeah so i mean i'm, I'm just like just having like that time like makes all the difference and you know like the clear head you know it's you know, it's, I mean, you know, but like my life isn't that monastic. I mean, you know, um, full disclosure, I mean, you know, um, I do still smoke weed on the weekends. 
So maybe that's where the fantasy stuff's coming from. <laughs> um, so you gotta have some pleasure, yeah. <laughs> it is. or at least you know. I mean, you know, I I like that escape. You know, yeah. I guess I'm probably more interested in. I don't know. It's it's like not as addictive as booze was. You know. Well, it's it's different realities. I mean. Well, yeah, that too. Booze can be basically a uh, just a truck that barges through everything. Yeah, and you know, it's a it's a major depressant too. I mean, it was you know, I, I really was just feeling awful like every day. You know, I mean, sure, it was like the pain from the hangover, but it, it just the booze had a way of just making me feel that everything was pointless. You know, which I'm sure it is, but. You know, I just don't need to, you know, feel that it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing with where, where I kind of I really appreciated reading the winter after reading um, the darker work is <laughs> is just kind of how it's it's turned a corner, and in some ways you've tightened up technically, but you've also loosened up um, emotionally within the work. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, oh you mean like in regards to Alex, or in regards to in general of yourself, like you know we talked about the self-deprecation before, and that's kind of faded away, um, where it's kind of more being present. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm well, I'm I'm just more confident and um in my work. I mean, like what I want to do with it, um. And that, yeah, I mean, that, that definitely comes from just working every day, you know, and just like getting excited about it. Um, so yeah, I'm like easier on myself, mm-hmm. like in that regard, because, um, I feel like I'm doing the best work of my life right now. So, and you know, I mean, I, I feel like I'm getting better, which is, you know, which is even more exciting. It's just, you know, I have something to work towards. You know, like I'm not just cranking it out to like meet a deadline. You know, I'm like thinking about it and you know, like studying, um, you know, other work that I'm excited about. So, what was the idea behind the winner? Was it um, just pulled together from different things you'd been working on, um, or did you kind of enter it with an idea in mind? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I sort of had this vague idea for. Well, okay, it, it started off like I wanted to do something smaller. Um, I, I wanted to do like a floppy comic, and I, I approached uh, Box Brown and asked him if he would be interested in um, doing something that was, you know, like an old like 90s alternative comic that, you know, it just wasn't, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like Yummy Fur or something. Like I would have like a couple stories that were going on or 8-Ball and they would just like serialize but like maybe they would go somewhere maybe they wouldn't <laughs> and, you know and like i try to put out like two or three a year and so we were just emailing back and forth and then you know they had gotten this um deal with a distributor so box is like well you know how about we just make this into like a graphic novel so then i started thinking about like what i was gonna serialize and just said and just and all the autobiographical stuff and how it all well i mean like all like the sci-fi stories that i was doing and the 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 horror stuff and i was just decided that it would 
work well with the autobio as like, well, this is what, what the Carl character is working on. And like, you know, this could be like the narrative. It's just, you know, me getting sober and just working out all those issues and also like how it reflects in like the other work that I'm doing that isn't autobiographical. So it just like would be this multi-layered um, sort of collage, I guess, that could also hold together as a as a narrative. So I think I pulled it off. And you mentioned that you are actually going to be doing floppies soon with uh, the fine folks at Kilgore. Um, yeah, I mean, this is all like we're we're like you know he he confirmed that he's going to do it. So and <laughs> it's going to come out. <laughs> and uh well i mean like we've been talking for like a few months i mean it's all very new it's it's just stuff that i've been doing in the past uh a year um which is i mean it's more of a continuation of what i was doing in the winter um except the carl character isn't uh seen it, it's all just the work from like my perspective so it's like a lot of landscapes or just you know people that i'm talking to mm-hmm. and then um some of the other like fantasy stuff that's more experimental i think but um but it it goes back to that idea that i originally wanted to do um with the winner is which is just to like serialize um whatever i feel like doing you know just just like have that freedom and like that that output i mean i know it's like nostalgic and it's you know probably bad financially but um (laughs) I just want to do it, man. <laughs> I just want to have that floppy because I'm sure it plays into the addiction of like buying a lot of old comics from the '90s too. Like I bought all the dirty plots like last year, and you know, just seeing all that and like the eight ball stuff. And now you got to you know picking up big mouth and crap and uh... yo, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have a few of those, my friend. <laughs> or um, like Idiot Land. Oh yeah, you know. Um, yeah, actually, like meeting like Gary Lee at like one of the cabs was kind of a thrill because I was a big Idiot Land fan. Mark Bell <laughs> just put out issue two of Worn Tough Elbow. I know, I got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's still doing it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah, it's great that John and Quarterly is uh, distributing that. I think he's still publishing it though, right? Yeah, yeah, he got it yeah. all printed himself and stuff, and uh, yeah, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, he's great, man. Yeah, he's... I love Mark Bell. He's like, should I do a number two? I'm like, just do it, Mark. Just do it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to last. I mean, you could, you know, just do like like four or five issues. I mean, I don't know. I think like, it's like, they are, they are, they're art comics. You don't have to like do 300 issues. Yeah. Well, that's that's a great thing about something like with, with Mark where all his work kind of connects in this like through line. So sure. issues don't even matter like what issue number because you can kind of, this kind of takes kind of takes place after period pajamas maybe i don't know it's mm-hmm. it's mark it's weird uh yeah it's a good point <laughs> and yeah. you mentioned you've also been getting strips into the new yorker yeah well it's not like gag cartoons yeah. actually it's totally like just not something that i thought i would ever do um but yeah i mean uh around june last year like not long after the winter came out um, Emma Allen, who is the uh, the uh, cartoon editor over there, um, she just happened to be a be at this bookshop in a Greenpoint in, in Brooklyn, and um, they had a copy of the winner. And I guess she thought that I would be a good fit for the gag cartoons, which oh, wow. is, I think, 
you know, genius on her part. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't have seen that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, well, like maybe, I mean, cause like there is like a lot of humor in the strips. So, yeah. um, I've been, I've been really pressed her, um, about that. I'm just, you know, glad that she likes me. And so, um, so yeah, she like contact. actually she contacted my art gallery in Boston, which I think is cooler and, you know, asked if I would be interested. And then my art gallery, um, like texted me and was like, would you be interested in doing work for the New Yorker? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so then, so yeah, so then I, I got in touch with her and, um, I like went down there and, you know, we yeah, met and had coffee and, um, yeah, I just started submitting and, um, and then they bought one and then they just kept buying them. So oh, you wow. know, they bought, bought like 11 so far. Wow. Um, and two are in print. Um, and then, uh, they've been like three online, but they've, they bought seven for prints so far. So yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, but I've, I've definitely like spared, I mean, I've like made my style more spare a little bit. Yeah. Like I've, you know, try to make it more look like a New Yorker cartoon, but I don't know, like I, I go back and forth. I mean, like there are a couple of them that, that have like a lot of cross hatching. I mean, like they're all very like realistic looking, but, um, you know, I, I think it's just like the influences I've, I've been looking more at, um, like it's like Alex Raymond or, uh, Al Williamson who are still pretty realistic, but like they're, they're like, you know, there's not as much cross hatching as I would do or just like that line I'm yeah. trying to get like a, of like a really fluid, clear line so that's that's sort of my my goal for the next foreseeable future just to loosen up on all the all the chicken fat as will elder would say and really have something more you know more simple and beautiful yeah like alex i want to be alex toth oh yeah (laughs) that that's all about the economy of line yeah the economy of line that's what i'm trying to say Each, each line has an importance and you don't put any that you don't need yeah, yeah. I want to. I just want to see if I can like do that. You know, yeah. I mean, it's that, that's exciting to me because it's, it's so difficult. You know, I was just talking. Like, hmm? Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, it's just you know, just to be that sure, you know, and like just like that balance that like creates um, like compositionally with, like so little. I mean, you know, I'm seeing the light on that. I was just talking with someone the other night about Toth's work because we we're looking at some Milton Kniff stuff and. Kniff mm-hmm. being so much more detailed and Toth being the kind of pared down version. Sure. Um, but like also like trying to figure out is there an actual good Alex Toth comic? <laughs> um, you mean one that you read? Yeah. <laughs> uh, good question. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, like there are. Like some of those EC stuff like the um, uh, the, the, the one like with the um, I think he's only uh, got like Ace is High, I think yeah. it's called. Yeah, he's like, only like got that's like a... 16 pages of EC comics. Yeah, I mean, like, those are great. I mean, I'm not sure who, I mean, like, like did he write them? No. I mean, like, he didn't really write, though, did no. he? Yeah. He, the, he's got a couple things, like, the the Tap comic he did was good. Mm. Um, I think there's a prison thing he did that was really good. Yeah, um, okay, I that one. Yeah. I think Bop. His mm-hmm. anthology has a really good story by him. But there's no like the great, you know, yeah. Right. He doesn't have um, um, 
God, my brain. See, this is why I probably shouldn't smoke marijuana. Um, <laughs> you know, well, like what's the famous Krieg Stein about oh, the, the master survive- race? Master race. Yeah, he does have a master race. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Um, so, yeah. Maybe, well, yeah, one day there'll be proper attention paid to Toth's work. Like, there's been attention, uh, but it's all been, like, kind of academic in a way, where there hasn't been, like, a solid collection of, like, I don't know. I'm kvetching. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I mean, like, someday, you know. Yeah. Now, your other thing you have recently is uh, actually up right now in a museum in Boston, the response yeah. to some Botticelli work. That's right. Yeah, it's at the uh, Isabella Stewart Garden Museum. Um, and uh, it's a show that's focused on Botticelli's um, Spalliera paintings, which are these narrative paintings that um, rich Florentines um, at the time in the 1500s would commission um, that, you know, like usually they depict um, stories from it, uh, antiquity, um, like pagan, like Roman stories, or sometimes to be like religious. But um, so the one that, so the yeah, Gardner has one in their collection um, about the story of Lucretia. And it's this lovely tale of uh, murder, rape, and suicide. Um, uh, like Lucretia, um, the uh, story is that she, well, uh, her her husband and uh, his friends were all talking about how virtuous their their wives were, and so they uh, like ride into Rome to like find out like what they're up to, and. Uh, you know, each one, you know, finds like their wives are doing things of ill repute, except for Lucretia, uh, who is, um, you know, at, at home being a good girl. (laughs) And so, but this turns on one of the Roman soldiers. So he comes back later and rapes her and, um, you know, tells her that if, you know, she tells anyone he'll kill her or no, that he'll, blame it on the, the like servants the servant did it did it so instead of um suffering that fate she decides to kill herself and she's found the next morning and um the soldier who raped her was uh this um he was one of the uh, royalty at the time so um like Lucretia's father, I'm probably getting this part right, wrong, I can't remember, um, uh, decides to take revenge and um, overthrow the um, royalty at the time. But basically, like, it, it leads to the Roman Republic. Mm. So it's a story of that. And so that's the, that's the painting that Botticelli depicts that's in the Gardner collection. And but like he did like a few of these paintings. It's another one of the story of Virginia, who is another uh, tragic woman of history who um, is uh, killed by her father because of like a similar thing as Lucretia. And so like the idea was to like bring like all these paintings together that are also like about violence to women and to like you know have this show that you know talks about like the me too movement and like just how these stories um can like relate to you know what's going on today like politically mm-hmm. 
So, um, but like the idea for the show was that um, they wanted to get a contemporary, because like the way that they always uh, would describe the paintings, and you know, which is true, like because they are like narrative paintings that like they were sort of the early version of like the comic strip or graphic novels, and the idea for the show was to get a contemporary cartoonist to do versions of the stories to break it down because like they're 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 very complex paintings to like break it down for like a contemporary audience to like just see it as like a comic strip so that's what i did but in the botticelli work um the focus is on all the soldiers like they're all kind of all in the foreground and like what's happening to lucretia it's 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 a it's a triptych yeah so it's it's not like you know this multi-paneled thing um but like lucretia's in the background so the idea for that i came up with was to have lucretia like front and center so it is all about you know her you know like she is like the reason why the like roman republic exists and like you know it is about like the, the like tragedy that like you know happens you know mm-hmm. so and the same thing like with the virginia story so but then like i also then there was like these other paintings too that uh, about like saint zenobius who is um this uh healer saint i guess in florence and um but but what's similar in all these paintings is that there's images of um like like realistic like architecture of like florence in the background so um so at the time like the people who collected them it, it was sort of you know it was like a way to like ground like these stories of reality to like see you know like familiar settings yeah so for for those paintings i did these uh landscapes these like pedantic landscapes of florence and like they're like hung above the paintings to give you an idea of you know that like this is florence you know there's like the domos in one of them and it's like these different views so it's just it sort of like ties it all together a little bit nice so. Is this a new thing for you doing this kind of work? Oh yeah, I mean it's my first museum show. Yeah, okay. I mean it's you know it's really, I mean I, I think it's a first for like comics too. I mean like I, I can't think of any other show that's, um, that has done something like that. You know, or like any sort of like fine like legitimate like fine art museum. You know, like using comics or even like a cartoonist in this way. You know, it's mm, interesting. Yeah, because um, like they are related, and it's just you know like the way that it goes back to like my training or like my ideas too, it's, it seems sort of like I've come full circle, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. I mean, you know, we had like the openings this past weekend and there seems to be a pretty good reception. Um, we're waiting for all the reviews to come in (laughs) to see what the critics think of (laughs) that kind of approach. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they yeah, I hope they've been bribed, but I don't think they'll need to be though, because it's a great show. Have you posted any of your stuff online for that, or will there be? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been posting on uh, my social media, um, on the Instagram and Twitter, Carl Stevens Art, um, and yeah, I mean, the uh, website has a few images, I think. Okay. So, well, good to folks. You should be able to see it. Folks, get on the internets and check it out. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today, Carl. Oh, is that it? Wow. Crazy. Yeah. It's been <laughs> an hour. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. And, Absolutely. Uh, it was fun getting caught up with your work and kind of seeing uh, 
the development like I, I again I really appreciate that kind of how your work has changed and grown um, and well, interested to see kind of where it goes from here so yeah thank you thanks Robin I appreciate it I love the podcast too thank you I appreciate that uh, reminder folks Carl Stevens and his most recent book is the winner uh, from the fine folks at Retrofit as well you can see Carl at TCAF and Cake in May and June um, yeah thank you so much Carl welcome thank you Robin Thank <laughs> you.